Hello and welcome, fellow awesomeologists to Awesomeology. I'm Sue. And I'm Ben. And in this episode, we're welcoming two more of our smart friends, David Murphy and Mark Voles, two of our modern day credit union heroes to help us celebrate Asian American and Pacific Islanders Heritage Month. Welcome, David and Mark. I'm going to give you a chance. I, I want you to introduce yourselves. Tell us who you are. Tell us what you do. Whoever wants to go first. We should have discussed this ahead of time. <laughs> go ahead, David. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll take it off here. Uh, yeah, so my name is David Murphy. I'm the newly uh, appointed president at Marshall Medical Center Credit Union, Marshall, Wisconsin. So I've been on the job for 13 days technically, although I have been uh, on vacation for both those weeks so far. So uh, I'm not really sure how much of the job I've actually been accomplishing to this point, but been involved in the credit union industry for be about 19 years. I started the day after I got my driver's license when I was 16. And besides a year off in college where I tried to do a college job, which totally sucked, I've uh, been, been spending all my work life uh, within credit unions and, and have thoroughly enjoyed it, gotten to know a lot of great people, including the three other people on this podcast and looking forward to the conversation that we're having this morning. Fantastic. Well, we are too, David. Mark, why don't you tell the world a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Sue. Um, I'm returning, so hopefully you kind of remember me. Um, nothing has changed too much. I'm still the relationship development officer at Corporate Central Credit Union. Um, what that kind of means is what I like to think is all other duties assigned. So anything and everything to kind of help the credit union movement. Uh, I cover the state of Wisconsin. So when we're not in pandemic times, I get to be in my car and drive around and meet with credit unions. Um, but I've been doing that all virtual for the last year and decade or however long we've been in this. Uh, I've been in the credit union movement for about uh, five and a half years right now. Um, I am a reformed banker. I was doing commercial lending before that. Uh, I'm also like to think that I'm very involved in community events as well. I've uh, more recently have taken a somewhat leadership role. I've joined a few committees on Habitat for Humanity here in the local Southeast Wisconsin area um, and have actually been able to kind of partner them with credit unions here to assist in, in mortgages. I know you didn't ask about that, but I wanted to make sure that I brought that um, at some point and I would have forgotten later. So thanks again for having me return and uh, especially talk about the, the topic of uh, AAPI's heritage, especially with kind of what's gone on within the last year, which I know we'll get into. So Mark, excellent timing on the plug for you being a previous guest. If anyone's curious about that, you can go back and check out episode two of Awesomeology, where we uh, dove a little deeper into the greatness that is Mark Voles. So happy to have you back, Mark. Uh, so I'm, I am going to shift it over to David, though. Uh, and uh, hopefully, David, you can elaborate a little bit more, talk about uh, your recent promotion and maybe you know what you're looking to most about the, the new role and what's next. Yeah, that sounds great. So I've been at Marshall Medical Center Credit Union now for uh, it's about 10 and a half years. And, <clears throat> you know, my history with the credit union was at the time my my then wife got a job up at the clinic in Marshfield or actually at the hospital. And so um, we had just gotten engaged. And so, of course, wanted to be in the same area. And, and so my first boss put me in contact with uh, Carol Adler, who is the retiring CEO there at the credit union. And she was looking for this part-time uh, position where she thought it was gonna be temporary a couple months, which was perfect because I was studying to become a CPA. And I thought this, this will be great. I'll get my foot in the door in Marshfield. And then once I get my CPA, I can start looking at firms in Wausau or Marshfield or you know wherever and, and just kind of transition out of the industry. Well, as a, uh, you know what they say with plans it's like they never go according to what you think they're going to so ended up taking me four or five years i believe it was to actually get my cpa but in that time i was able to demonstrate that i maybe actually knew a thing or two and that i was uh passionate about the industry to the point where uh, i was i would say about three years into my tenure at the credit union and carol had, had started to think about the future and the fact that she was going to be retiring, you know, within five to 10 years or whatnot. And so 
she actually approached me and said, I think that there's a possible career tra uh, trajectory here for you. And it wasn't really anything I had given any consideration to, but I thought, okay, well, I'm enjoying what I'm doing and I like the people I'm working with or whatnot. So I thought, okay, well, that, that'll work out. So I was able to get my CPA then. And at that point it was like, well, it doesn't really pay for me to leave, to go to a different industry. She had given me a ton of opportunities to get involved within the industry, which was great. And had been able to meet a lot of great people up to that point, which I've expound, or expanded, you know, since that time even, but um, it was just a really good opportunity. And I liked the fact that, you know, working at a credit union, we are pretty spoiled because we're working for the most part, eight to five or eight to six or whatever. And it wasn't the travel of a CPA and whatnot. And so, yeah, she continued to get me involved and I started to work my way up the ranks, which were a smaller credit union. So that's not always the easiest thing to do either, but, but she really, um, she identified that this was a potential succession plan for them. And I think up to that point, there was a little bit of uncertainty just with the staff that they had, that we have on hand and, you know, what, what, if there was anyone qualified or whatnot. So I think it really solidified that for her. And, and so then over the last couple of years, as things started to get closer to the end, started to get even more involvement within the, the tasks that are uh, necessary, obviously to run a credit union and, just continue to grow leadership skills and whatnot. And, and then earlier this year, then is when I went through the vetting process and did my interviewing and everything. And thankfully the board uh, went through and selected me, which I was really hopeful for, but you just, you just never know until it's actually on paper. And so, um, yeah, so they announced it to the middle of March that they had selected me to start May 1st. And so here we are, I mean, going forward, I just think you know, so our credit union is close chartered to healthcare employees within the state. And we're fortunate in the sense that healthcare is not going away for one and, and a pandemic for as terrible as it was. Well, that's actually, it's kind of a good thing for the healthcare industry. And so we, we acknowledge that there's a lot of opportunity there because the demand for jobs like in the Marshfield area uh, continues to grow. And so hopefully that will bring new people in. Um, so from that standpoint, we're really excited. And then there's just, I guess, the, the move to the 21st century, so to speak, and how to, how to modernize our own operations and um, just little tweaks here and there. I mean, it's not that we were doing everything poorly or anything like that, but it, there's always room for improvement. And I think that's what I'm looking forward to, even though as I start to dive into it more and more, it's like, well, this is going to be a lot of work. But at the end of the day, I think it's going to be um, it's going to be worth all the hard work to put into it. And I'm really excited to see where we can kind of steer the ship, so to speak. Awesome. It, I mean, it, it makes me wonder, really, how many people who are in the credit union industry right now started in the industry saying, well, you know, this is a good job until I get my grown up job, until I go on to, you know, this next step and and have sort of found that same passion you found, David and um, and I know, and also Mark, who, you know, came into the industry from the banking industry and just like, once you, once you sort of get hooked and start to get really, I don't know, when you, when you sort of drink the Kool-Aid <laughs> and get, uh, you know, start to understand the movement and some people, it just is where we stay, so. I think we're really fortunate within the industry to have we have a really good balance of people who obviously have been in the industry for a long time we have people coming into the industry all the time as well and i just think there's a really good balance of um you know like if there wasn't people who wanted to take me under their wing for example or same thing with mark we may not be sitting here today we might be off doing something else or whatnot i, I just think that um it's Credit unions are so unique in the sense that, you know, for example, like you guys working at Simplicity, you're technically a competitor of ours, but we don't look at any of the conversations that we have or the collaborations that we have in that sense. Like we're willing to work with each other and talk about this kind of stuff or talk about even best practices and whatnot. And, and that's so unique to our industry. And I think that dovetails to like when you identify someone who's got some talent or has the desire to do well within the industry, there are peop other people from other credit unions who are willing to, to devote resources and say, oh, what can we do to keep mm -hmm. you in the industry? I think that's really a special thing for credit unions in general. Yeah. 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 Really, 
just really interesting origin stories from both of you. And that is a delightful transition into um, me saying that for the sake of our audience, let's be transparent. And the fact that this is an audio medium, they can't see our faces right now, no matter how charming our faces are. Um, and let's explain why, <laughs> why you two were the first people that I thought of, that we thought of when we wanted to have a conversation and we wanted to celebrate um, Asian American and Pacific Islanders Heritage Month. You're both AAPI professionals and you both bring these really interesting lived experiences to the conversation of what that means for you and for our industry. Um, will you tell us, let's start way back in the origin story here. Tell us in as much detail as either one of you feel comfortable sharing what you can remember from you know, going back early on as a kid and thinking about uh, maybe what was it like to be one of the few or one of the only kids that looked like you did? And what were those experiences like early on? I can kick us off on this one. And um, uh, if you didn't listen to episode two, I'm adopted. David is also adopted as well. So we have a, a, a different perspective of where our roots really came from. And I'm not going to speak on behalf of David or the entire AAPI community. Um, but one thing that at least I found out and learned is that what we've probably all gone through, and especially more candid conversations, is that one thing that I remember from being a kid in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin, it's predominantly uh, white, uh, is that we just tried to survive. That we found a way, and this is just generations that we're still here. We just figured out how to survive. And I don't, again, wanna speak on behalf of everybody, but one thing that I remember is always, I needed to be smarter, I needed to be funnier, I needed to be able to come back with a, when a microaggression or something was said, I needed to be quick with a, something to kind of diminish whatever was said. Because if I didn't, others would jump on it. And that was where I feel at such a young age, I was able to take that and, and it's still prevalent today. And it's, I feel sometimes my sarcasm kind of comes off as something different and it may be taken a different way, um, which I'm still working on. And it's at least now it's the self-awareness of it. Um, but not a lot of people, even within our networks knew we went through this stuff. And it was just as a child and not having a ton of resources, just we learned how to survive where a lot of our, our white counter folks or white friends didn't necessarily know any of this was going on. And it's just, it, with what happened and has been happening over the last year with all of the hatred, the bigotry, everything else. And again, I'm not speaking on everyone's behalf. I hear racist comments all the time and I am in Southeast Wisconsin and Milwaukee specifically, and it's coming from everybody. They may not think what they're saying is racist, but as you kind of, and I don't want to spoil kind of our conversation later, but like this is, it's things that have been said for years that now we're just ready to call out people and what it is. So I, I will hand it over to David and see if he has anything different because we do talk about this quite often because we do have really different lived experiences for me being in the suburbs of Milwaukee and, and David coming from a small town. So I'll hand it over to David. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Uh, yeah, I agree. We, we actually last night we were just having this conversation again, you know, and um, so we have talked about our, our differences and experiences. And, and so as Mark said, I am, I am adopted. I was adopted when I was four months old. So I don't know any differently than being here. Um, I do also think that one of the differences between Mark and myself is that Mark has two brothers, I believe, right, that were adopted with you, or a brother and a sister, I'm sorry, two siblings that were adopted mm -hmm. with you. And so when I was adopted, I was the only one that was adopted at the time. And then my sister was adopted nine years later, 
um, from India. And so I guess, I don't know if it's just because of the fact that I grew up in a smaller town. So I grew up in the Tome area, a small town between lacrosse cities, uh, Milwaukee, everything there. And so I didn't really experience a lot of the experiences that Mark had to go through growing up. Um, you know, I was, I've been blessed with, uh, with brains, I guess, so to speak. And so I was, I always did well in school and maybe with it being a smaller school, I was always one of the top kids when it came to academics, uh, as a young age. And so I never really had to struggle with that, you know, in elementary school, I don't really recall any hearing anything, um, from my classmates or definitely not from teachers. And I guess, to be honest with you, it wasn't really anything that I ever talked to my parents about. So I guess I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing in the sense of, I mean, obviously, as Mark alluded to, I, I haven't had nearly the experiences that he has or I've heard that like his family has had being, you know, down here in a, in a bigger uh, market, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I've heard comments before in the past and I, and I guess Part of me says that, you know, not having the conversation with my parents about it maybe set me up a little bit to be a little naive about what the world was really like when it came to that, came to that stuff. And then part of me says that maybe it was a good thing because then I, I wasn't growing up on the defensive, so to speak. Like, to be honest with you, um, I don't, we maybe had throughout my whole time in like middle school and high school, I'm trying to think we had more than a handful of uh, other Asian Americans in our schools. I'm, I can think of one right off the top of my head, but it, there, there wasn't a lot, I guess, at the end of the day. And really when it came to diversity, there wasn't a lot. We were a predominantly white area. Um, we did have, we do have Native Americans in our area. So that would be the other minority, I would say. Mm -hmm. And I think they probably dealt with a brunt, more of the brunt of comments or, or I don't really recall any like true hate crimes in our area when I was growing up, but I can't say that that didn't happen because I'm sure it did. Um, so yeah, my experience really up through high school was pretty nonchalant when it came to that. Um, and I guess how I always look at this stuff and it's, it's hard because you don't always know people's intention when it comes to this, but you know, if there was things like I had, I had friends that would, we would make comments about it. And I guess I knew that where they were coming from when they would say the things that they said, wasn't from a place of hatred. Now that doesn't necessarily make it right, but I also I also believe that the intent that there's there needs there should be a bigger emphasis placed on intent, I guess. And so, from my standpoint, I never really felt like truly offended by anything that I had ever heard because I don't feel like anyone ever came up to me and tried to start a fight with me because of the fact that I was an Asian American and that they were using words that were trying to basically put me down, so to speak. Um, again, that's, I know that's not maybe the normal um, path, I guess, when you're growing up being different, so to speak. Um, but even when I went off to college, it wasn't really, I don't, I don't really recall any incidences where I was called out specifically for being Asian. And again, that might just be a smaller town area thing or hard to say, but yeah, I would say that overall our experiences uh, between Mark and myself are, are different and maybe then as we continue this conversation, our approaches might be a little bit different when it comes to how we react to the, the news and that kind of stuff. But I mean, overall, I'm also not naive to the point where I don't believe that none of this happened. I mean, it, and it happens, depending on where you're at, it does happen pretty much. It could happen to anyone. So, I mean, I'm cognizant of that fact as well. But yeah, that's kind of my, I guess, experience growing up with it overall. So what would you guys say about those early experiences and how maybe they've informed your adult life, career goals, core beliefs, anything like that? I can kick us off on this one again. And it's just, it, it's like I mentioned before, it's just, you, you learn how to survive, um, that you do develop this thick skin and you develop this armor. So when these things do come up and these microaggressions, are, are said that you just you roll with it it falls off of you right away rather than it sticks with you um and that it's it it's some things that other people don't think happen or are said or at least like for me we both have non-asian names so i frequently get 
you don't look like a Mark Volks or you speak very good English, which uh, my response again, because I'm sarcastic and I feel I'm witty is usually, well, I, I got a B in English in college. So it's not as good as you probably think. So just to kind of put a little bit of humor on it, but it also like needs to start being called out because that's not okay. It's not okay to ask somebody or tell somebody they're good at something just because the way they look. Um, and that you can clearly, I don't have an Asian accent. Mm -hmm. I have a Wisconsin accent that I found out um, from my other friends. They just like hearing me talk, even though it doesn't make sense sometimes. Uh, but I digress. It's, it's developed um, all of these kind of uh, <laughs> thick skinned, I can take on whatever. Um, also, one other thing on I always core beliefs and, and goals is that as a, 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 a BIPOC or, or black indigenous people of color growing up, you, you develop this, I need to grind harder than everybody else. And that I am not gonna get the same opportunities as my, my friends, as my white community. It's just, that's not gonna be there. You might not have the same avenues. Um, and that people will look at you differently. And it's coming from the community that I was in. And it was similar to David, where it's like the people there, your, your friends and family understand you, or they think they understand you. But the second you walk out and put yourself out there, it's different. Like people do look at you on first, on looks alone. Like I, I feel I need to be better than everybody else just to get my seat at the table. And that's where I do see that changing. And I really do. And it's at least people taking our words and actually listening compared to, oh, at least it's like this, or at least you're not like them, or it used to be this sort of oppression. Like it's not like that anymore. And that at least we're having the conversation, bringing awareness to things and actually sticking up for ourselves and advocating for what we believe in and that what is being done and that I, I don't wanna get into this rabbit hole, but like the, the system is set up against us and that I feel the people that are in power that are uh, okay with the system, we're not asking for more. We're asking for the same things that are being done. And just for instance, it's again, I live in Milwaukee that the Milwaukee public school system does not have the same access as Menominee Falls. Like I can just see clear as day of why this is happening. And that's where, unless you look at it from a different lens, you're not gonna see all these things. And that's what I'm, very hopeful for the future because this light's shining on all of the uh, inequities within our system and that it's being called out. And uh, I feel like I didn't fully answer that question, but I'll, I'll let David chime in here too. I think you did great. Yeah, I think uh, personally, I can't really hang my hat on anything where my race ultimately presented a challenge for where I got to, I guess this is how I look at racism in general, I guess is how I'll put this, is that I think it's easy to pick on race because as Mark alluded to, I mean, you see us and it's pretty obvious that we're Asian. I mean, that I guess I don't know any other way to put it. So for people who don't like different, for whatever reason, whether it's sexual orientation, religion, whether it's race, whether it's anything that you can quote unquote discriminate against, I think it's an easy, it's a low hanging fruit because they can see that they don't even need to say anything to Mark or myself. They can see that we're not white. So I think that um, how I try to view it, and again, this might be the naive approach to it, but mm -hmm. people who have hate in their heart are going to hate for whatever reason. You know, you look at people who might have disabilities, for example, and once you find that out, some people will poke that, you know, and, 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 and um, take advantage of that and manipulate that or whatnot. And I just think that 
I don't look at racism as 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 like people are really good people that just happen to be racist. I mean, I know there are some people out there like that. So I, I guess maybe I should rephrase that a little bit. But I do know that for a lot of instances, when they when you hear racist comments from people that you don't even know or you never even have interacted with, it's because even if you were white, they may still find something wrong with you. It's just that they're full of hate. And so I guess that's, again, I, I say it's naive in the sense of like, I know that it's more complicated than that, but that's how I frame it in my mind. Because unfortunately, if, if, I, if I or Mark or whoever, if anyone interacts with someone who's a truly hateful person, I realize at the end of the day that there's not a damn thing that we can do to change their heart when it comes to that. And that even if they all of a sudden accepted us because we're not white, then what's the next layer that they're going to have an issue with and, and so on. And there's nothing you can change with that. And so I guess I look at it as people are going to do what they're going to do. I'm going to try to focus on what I can control. And so mm -hmm. tying it back to like my career projection, I guess, um, I can't say that I can recall any managers or any coworkers or anything like that coming up to me and specifically calling me out on being, you know, non-white or whatnot. Um, and so if people have said that behind my back, I don't worry about that because I always approach things like, unless I actually hear it straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak, then it wasn't said. Even if I have an inkling that it probably is true, I don't worry about that because I can't control that. And unfortunately, as much as we would love to try to do this, and I think this goes to Mark's comments about some of the systemic things that we can try to control. Um, at the end of the day, I think, I don't know that we could spend a, how many lifetimes we'd have to spend to actually try to fix every single person on an individual basis. And so I guess that's how I look at it. And I just say, if, if people are gonna feel that way, then they're gonna feel that way. And I'm gonna just continue to work hard and do what I need to do. Um, like I said, that might be, I keep saying that it's naive to think that because not everyone is afforded that opportunity and whatnot. And so I understand that all situations aren't equal and that's unfortunate when it comes to that. But I guess at the end of the day, I'm thankful that I've had good people in my life who, whether they did, did feel this way and just never said anything, or I, I like to believe that they didn't feel that my race was really a differentiator good or bad, you know, and how I've gotten to where I've gotten to this point. It's, I think what's really interesting uh, is you, you know, Mark, you point out that you've had to work harder, you've had to be smarter. And David, you're, you know, you, you're sort of saying that you, not that you don't, not that you don't see that or, you know, understand that perspective, but that that wasn't your experience. And I mean, I've known you for several years, David, and you do work harder and you are smarter. And like, it just is, it's interesting for me to hear this conversation between the two of you and say like, you know, David, David is not a guy who lets things, you know, who rests on his laurels. So, you know, you're, you're a, I think you're doing, and, and I don't know if this is a compliment or an insult now, as I keep talking, but, but you, you know, you're doing, um, you're, you just are really putting in all of this work. And it does make me wonder, like, does that, does some of that, you know, your natural, even though, even though you're not saying you're responding to, you know, the way people uh, would react to you or, you know, you, you keep labeling yourself as naive, which I don't think you are. Um, maybe you are, maybe we both are, but, but by maybe naturally being a very smart, very hardworking, very motivated person, it's sort, it's sort of, uh, it's creating this space around you that's keeping you really healthy. I don't know, that's, that's a theory. I'm sorry, Mark, I cut you off before I started talking. Go ahead. Oh, oh no, you're fine. I was just gonna jump in here and say something that, and like that, and that's, we, we both have, again, very different lived experiences. And I just remember something when I was applying for schools, um, one of the things my guidance counselor just said, again, I, did, I don't think she means to do any harm by it, but like, she's like, you can probably go wherever you want because you're affirmative, because of affirmative action. 
So like I've always mm. lived with that kind of thing in the back of my head, head of like, I don't want to be here just because I'm Asian. I want to prove myself. And that's where it's like, I have, I feel like I've always had this chip on my shoulder to do go above and beyond. And I'd hate to say mm-hmm. it at this point, like it's exhausting. It's completely exhausting. And especially now that uh, again, I, I appreciate you uh, bringing all this up, but like every time we have to talk about it as minorities, we have to unpack the trauma that we've gone through where I hate to say like our white counterparts don't think about that. Every time I have to fight for something that's CEI related at my work or somewhere else, I have to go think about, all right, well, how many of those times as I've heard something racism or I felt threatened that I need to get myself out of a situation. And it's a lot, it's a ton. And it's just, I don't mind at this point sharing the story because not a lot of people knew about it. And I'd hate to say that we were good at covering it up in code switching of like most of our, our networks didn't know this stuff was going on. And I wish I could tell you that this has changed, but it hasn't. And especially over the last year, uh, it used to be I'd heard like a racist comment or two like directed towards me. Again, I didn't like at this point, I don't go out and look for trouble. But now from what's happened over the last couple of years, it's been relentless. Like I get told to go back to China at least once a quarter. Like, and it's just, it's, mm. you got to pick yourself up after that. And it doesn't get easier every time. It really doesn't. You'd think you become numb to it, but it's like, is you start thinking about, is this really the place I want to be? And, and I, I appreciate David's, uh, I kind of can put my head down, work through it and get over it. But I'm not that kind of person. I'll sit there and I'll call you out and that this is not right and that this needs to change. Because if it's, it's not even fighting for me anymore. Like mm-hmm. I, I have a younger, or sorry, I have uh, two nephews and a niece and they both, uh, all three of them look like they have Asian descent. And I'm fighting for them now. It's not for me. I don't mm-hmm. care what happens. It's just, this needs to change. It's been over, what, 50 years since the civil rights movement, and we're still technically kind of still in it, just in different forms. Right. So I'm and, sorry, go ahead, Sue. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, it must be, it must be exhausting, too. On top of everything, you know, your lived experience um, and everything that you have fought through time after time after time that you know, along with this in new focus on DEI and, you know, al- white allies wanting, you know, just now, and I'm, I'm very actively try- trying not mm-hmm. to, uh, I'm trying not to insult us as white allies too, but, it, you know, maybe we deserve a little bit of it, you know, to suddenly have us all going, oh my gosh, you guys, we had no idea. Now tell us if you could just unpack all of your trauma, because we didn't know what we were doing wrong. And so could you just tell us everything? And, you know, and especially because I think the next step in my personal evolution and the evolution of a lot of the people who are now doing this work, you know, as white people, it really needs to be say, stepping in and saying, you know, this is, this Mm -hmm. is my friend, Mark. And the thing that you just said to my friend, Mark, that wasn't okay. Here's, here's why that wasn't okay. And you need to not do that anymore. Rather than saying, Mark, could you explain to this whole group of people you know, why, why that was wrong or why that was offensive. And um, I think, and I'm sure you would agree for, for many of us uh, there, there's just a lot of work to do because we, we have come into, we have come into this with uh, just a tremendous amount of peace of mind and privilege that we didn't know we had until we were challenged on it. And it's it's going to be uncomfortable. And we're going through this, too. It's not mm-hmm. like we, we have the answers to this. Right. Uh, to be honest, I have zero answers to any of this. Like, I don't know. There's never going to be one solution that's going to solve all of this. There's going to be a ton of little micro solutions that's going to get us there. And it's going to take time. And that's where it's like it's some people think that it's like, 
we just put this DEI group or initiative in our credit union or organization, it's going to solve everything. It's not. And the fact that you you get there, I applaud everybody that's there, but it's it's a journey and it's going to mm-hmm. keep going. It's going to keep evolving. Things keep happening. Um, and one other thing that that I, I think I forgot to mention, but like when you see like what happened in Atlanta where those instances happen, every time that happens, and I'm not going to speak on behalf of everybody, but every time that happens, I always think to myself, am I next? And the trauma that brings that, like, it's, it's tough to go throughout your day, trying to work on stuff, and then not think of like, I step out of my, my house here. Is there some, someone that isn't right, that got a hold of something they shouldn't? And are they going to do it to me, just because I look different? And that's where it's like, that's why I'm going to keep fighting because that's not right. And it's not just a gun thing or a mental health thing. It's a holistic systematic problem thing Mm -hmm. that we just don't have that conversation with. And I'm not saying taking all the guns away is going to solve it or that we give mental health uh, access to everybody. That's not going to just do it. And it's going to take years to get through it. And it's just, it's at this point, it's calling a spade a spade acknowledging that we have a problem and just saying that we have a problem with this stuff. And then we'll go from there. If we can find some common ground to get to where everybody can accept and say, this is an issue, I feel then we can start making some actual progress. Yeah. One one thing that um, you've said, or whether it's directly or you've at least hinted at it as you've been talking today um, that I think resonates with me a lot is, um, this, like so many other problems and it could be problems, issues that we're facing just in our professional day-to-day life or something as big as racism, right? Um, none of these things, very few of those kind of problems happen overnight or in any form of quickness, right? Um, which is a shame and it's a bummer. Of course, it'd be awesome if, um, you know, this stuff could all, just go away. Right. And we could live in that harmony, but, um, it's just not, it's not realistic. It's not where we're at. Um, and that's unfortunate, but it is real. Um, and, um, I think that one thing that we do need to do, and this is coming from the white guy who, you know, I've, I've never had to worry about where I go because of how I look, you know, or anything like that, you know, so like, I understand uh, what that is. And, um, uh, so like I say, take that for, take this for what it's worth. But I do think that this conversation today, um, the conversations that have happened over the last year and the action that has happened over the last year, albeit very uncomfortable, probably slower than we want it to be, all of those things, like they are steps forward. And I think it really is important to recognize that and pause and celebrate that stuff from time to time while also very quickly recognizing mm-hmm. like the work's not done. You know, these conversations need to continue to happen. We're fortunate that we have two people here with us today that have totally different perspectives on how maybe this has affected them personally, professionally, and things like that. And the learning that can happen in little conversations like this mm-hmm. or big conversations that might require big things like legislation or policy or, you know, anything like that. Um, those are the steps that we're all looking forward to, um, to really make change. Um, but it does start somewhere and it's those, those tiny steps that maybe we're taking right now that might feel super painful and tiny, but we're taking them darn it. And it's important to recognize that we're taking them coming from the white guy. I get it. No, but thank you for sharing that because it's it is we we are all in this together and I don't want to be cliche about the pandemic and everything but like it's going to take it's not just going to take the AAPI community to get this we need mm-hmm. our white allies we need our black allies we need our Latin allies if there's any injustice when it comes to any of the if there's any injustice in the world there's injustice for all. So that's where it's like, it's not just one fight. It's a whole elaborate fight to get past this hatred that 
again, I still don't fully understand where that stems from, but it's just, we'll, we'll get there. But like, like you said, and I mentioned, it, it's just going to take time mm-hmm. and that we need to be getting ready for some very uncomfortable conversations in the future. And if you think you're feeling comfortable by, by hearing it, just imagine how uncomfortable we are living it. So I'll, I'll digress and let us keep going because I know we have some other questions we're going to get to here. Yeah, I think that is a really good, I mean, it's such a good conversation and I think you could go, I don't know, but I feel like you could go hours and hours and hours in um, down all kinds of different, different places. So uh as we are starting to run a little bit out of time here, and I apologize, David, we we left you out of a whole big chunk there, but that's okay. We're gonna, I'm gonna bring it around to you. I'm gonna address this last question here for you, um, and then and then let Mark have have his shot after. So, you know, as as you you guys are both pointing out, it takes everybody doing something. It takes work, and it's going to take time, and so. Uh, I, I was really touched, Mark, by the way, you know, you're talking about your, uh, your niece, your nieces and nephews. And, you know, this is, it's some of this work, we need to know, you know, a legacy, what I'm trying to remember the line from Hamilton, it's a legacy is planting a garden that you'll never see, right? I've only watched it 700 times, like, you know, it's fine. But, <laughs> um, so the work is for other people, at a certain point. Uh, so if you could, and David, I'll direct this first to you, if you could say anything to this next generation, this young generation of AAPI professionals that are coming into the credit union industry, or even just starting in the workforce in general, um, what is advice you would give them as they're going into their careers? Well, I think the first piece would dovetail off of what Mark was talking about. And I will say for the record, like it's it's really hard to hear even his stories because I don't I don't recall a situation where I've ever been called called out, and that's not even the right term, but I mean like to have something like that yelled to me from a distance or even said to me. Like I, I can't fathom. So like that maybe that's where uh when I say like I'm I'm a little green to everything, like it's because I've never actually gone through like that type of a situation, which is ridiculous. What I would say though is First and foremost, I think we do need to get to a point where we are having the conversation instead of just pushing everything under the rug, so to speak. So to Mark's point, you know, it's not easy to have these conversations. It's not easy to approach someone, whether privately or publicly, if it has to be that way, and to basically say, you know, what you did was wrong because that's a, that's a hard conversation to have. It's a hard conversation to hear. And so, with that being said, I do think that. It does need to get to a point where, uh, um, just in general, things that are said that are inappropriate. Because again, uh, like I'm watching Mad Men again right now, uh, going through it. And when you watch that and you hear some of the things that were said against women, for example, you know, being in the late 60s or early 60s, I think is when the show was set. And the things that were said back then. And so it's not just, again, I know it's easy to, to focus on race, but it's, it's so many different levels of when things are said that shouldn't be said because they're inappropriate or because they are actually hurtful or whatever the case is, I do think we need to be having these conversations as opposed to just letting it go thinking, oh, well, that's my boss. How dare I? I can't say anything to him because they're hurt because they control my life, so to mm-hmm. speak. I think we need to get past that point first and foremost. The second, I guess, 1B to that advice would be to whether it is the AAPI group um, that is potentially being put together or it's uh, friends doesn't even have to be other minority friends. It can just be friends in general that you truly trust. I think having a network of people that you can actually talk to about this kind of stuff is helpful because, um, you know, like like Mark and I have talked about, we've talked about these things before, but if we had to hold all this stuff in and we didn't have any outlet whatsoever, or we, we didn't have a, I hate to use the word safe space, but I mean, just like we didn't have a trusted circle of people that we could truly talk about this stuff and, and, 
get other people's thoughts on it and whatnot. I think that would make this infinitely harder. So I think get yourself a good network of friends and or colleagues that you can truly trust to talk about this stuff. Um, and then, it, like I said, I, from, from my approach, the third piece would just be to continue to, to set your goals and then work hard to get to your goals. And, and while I, while you still need to have these conversations at the end of the day, you can only control what you can control is how I look at it. And so try to do what you can. If you're in a situation that it's not gonna resolve itself, get out of the situation. There are plenty of credit unions in this country, probably in your neighborhood even that you could, that would welcome you with open arms. So if you're ever in a situation where you feel like you're being underappreciated for whatever reason, but if it really has to do with race and or sex and or sexual orientation or whatever the case is, then you need to get out of that situation as hard as it may be and find yourself in a situation that will embrace you for who you are. Because I, I know that um, I know that there are credit unions out there who will who don't care about that stuff and their members don't care about that stuff. And at the end of the day, we are in existence because of our members. And so find yourself a situation that um, you know, is conducive to allowing you to do your best job whatever that calling may be so those would be my three pieces of advice very nice what about you mark so i mirror everything that david said so i'll try not to say the exact same thing um but first off it's that we hear you we see you and we support you um that one thing i absolutely love about the credit union industry is that we have a community of people that are here to help and one of the things that's really helped me over the last year is again we we right now don't even we might i i don't really i haven't found one like an aapi group but being a part of the african-american credit union coalition has really helped me um learn more about what what african-americans are going through and what other minority groups are going through um and we're going through similar things it may not be the same um but it's very similar so it's giving you that community um, so reach out to, to others that might be going through the same thing and that it's nice, like David said, and I, I don't like the safe space um, word. It's just there's, there's comfort in knowing that others are kind of going through similar things and that you can talk freely and openly with people that are going through the same things. And it's, it's nice to know that there's people like us that are supporting us. And also I encourage you, if you do have issues within your own credit union, your own organization, talk to your leaders about it. Um, that's one of the things that I think really helped me through all of this is that I've been talking to our leadership about what I've been going through and all everything that goes on. And that it's just, again, to back to my point, like this stuff does affect your work performance and that if you can't be fully present at your job take some time to digest what's going on and that it's okay to take a step back and to grieve or process what's going on because none of this any the pandemic included no one was ready for this no one if you say you're doing good i i feel you're doing you're lying um, cause no one's like was prepared for this and that we're all going through this together. Um, and that, that again, just to back to our, the original point to, to the next generation, we're all in this together. And that as we collectively bring it together, one of the, eight, uh, one of the new, uh, cooperative principles for credit unions is DEI. So it's on the radar and that we'll get there. And unfortunately, we just have to do the work. And it's gonna be uncomfortable going through it, but once we get there, it's still probably gonna be uncomfortable. Uh, but as we keep making small incremental changes and call things out, it'll be a little bit easier doing it going forward. And again, not we're probably not gonna see it in my generation, but my hope is that in the future, we don't have to deal with the things that we dealt with um, and code switch and then hide what we our, our lived experiences are. So that's what I would share uh, with them. And I think David has something to add on or tell me that I'm wrong, which I, I can be wrong. 
Well, I, I like to do both. You know that, Mark. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, the other thing I was going to say when it comes to DEI is don't go into any situation assuming that everyone is against you as well, because there are, for every person who is going to yell, the things they're going to yell at you from across the parking lot, there are 10 people who will be at your work or your church or your organizations you're involved with who are genuinely good people. And I do think that one of the risks that I potentially see with the DEI initiative is this idea that we almost paint the broad stroke saying like everyone in this race or this, this group or whatever is against us instead of calling out the individual who maybe is the one who is doing the bad things or saying the bad things or whatnot. So I would just say when, uh, again, going to my first point, when there's a situation, call out the situation, but don't assume that don't assume that every every that something is maybe there that isn't because I do think that I've, I've had conversations predominantly with white people and I even hate putting it that way but it's just about like DEI and it's like well I'm I know that each of us regardless of the race probably does a, like a real small thing that maybe isn't appropriate for example but I think in general most like the my white counterparts so to speak are saying i i don't under i don't understand what the dei initiative is because i'm not you know i don't feel like i discriminate against these people and and like i said i think there's small things that we need to clean up but i think to just paint the broad stroke and say well everyone's racist so now we need to overcompensate and we need to do this i think that that sets people off mm -hmm. in a wrong tone as well when it comes to dei and so i do think that you know unfortunately i guess it almost sounds like I'm saying that we need to put more initiative on the minorities in this case. And, and I don't mean for it to sound that way, but I would just say we need to be caution, cautious about approaching this too, that it, it almost goes extreme the other way, because I don't want to see a situation where, I mean, whether you think that this is quote unquote fair or not, um, I don't want to see a situation where any race, even if it is the predominant white race, let's just say, I don't want to see their race be put through the same things we are just because we went through that. Like, let's get to a point where we are all quote unquote equal and that we are treating each other with respect regardless of race. Because if all of a sudden it's all the minorities are doing better than like our white counterparts, have we really solved anything by getting to that point either? And I just, I'm not saying that the DEI initiative is getting there, but I could just see that being a risk where that yeah. pendulum swings too far the other way. And then if we're, you know, as minorities, let's, as Asians, let's just say, if we're thinking that we're a better race than, I don't know, Latinos or, or whatever, that's not really solving the problem mm -hmm. either. That's just putting a different class above the other classes, so to speak. So I guess I would just, I, that would just be my caution in general is not everyone that you meet is a bad person. I'm, you know, even if they, joke about something you say that's not appropriate and they say okay I understand you know that's still a good person who just maybe said the wrong thing you can tell the difference between that and someone who truly hates you because of the color of your skin or because of the sexual orientation or whatever the case is and I think make sure that you also are cognizant of that that people make mistakes we all say things that we probably shouldn't have said and we can learn from those mistakes we're not all perfect and so be um Oh, I just lost the word that I was looking for, but have forgiveness in your heart when those situations come up and, and continue to grow together. You know, that would be my final, I guess, advice with that. Well, um, that's a, a perfect ending to some super heavy uh, conversation, maybe at times some uncomfortable conversation. We said that a couple of times today, but um, can't say enough. Thank you guys for being here and for opening up and, uh, you know, being a part of, um, something that I think is really cool and we'll all be better of, uh, better, uh, for being involved on the other side of all this stuff. So, um, we are going to transition to our wrap up which uh, is our something awesome segment where we share our recommendations uh, for cool things that have happened to us or cool things that we want to share with uh, with the world. Uh, anything awesome. And when I say anything, that is a big old category. And uh, 
if you've listened to any of our previous episodes, you know that sometimes I will bring in something that has nothing to do with what we are talking about. And guess what? I'm doing that today uh, only because it was such a recent experience for me. And um, I'm, I'm by no means an astrophysicist or anything like that, but I do just get stuck looking up at the stars and um I'm a Neil deGrasse Tyson fan and just all that stuff. Like I geek out about uh, the cosmos and everything. And so a quick story last summer, um, my wife and I were outside having a campfire and I may have had a beer in hand and I took a drink of that beer. And as I was doing that, looked up and I saw this line of lights in the sky and thought, oh my God, the aliens are finally here. It's, it's happening, right? But seriously, I'd never seen it before, and I had no idea of what, uh, as I'm saying this, some of you might be thinking, oh, Ben, that's just Starlink. I had no idea what Starlink uh, is or was, right? Uh, so I quickly Googled, you know, line of lights in the sky or whatever, and found that it's this uh, satellite system that's bringing uh, internet to uh, places all over the world that typically don't have it, and um, saw a cool video of it over, like, the skyline of Portland or something like that. Um, and yeah, so that was my first experience with seeing the Starlink uh, satellites. Um, earlier this week, I saw them again. Um, and so it just reminded me of, well, one, just how cool I think that whole thing is. Um, if uh, for somebody who likes to look up at the stars, I guess I'll say the one thing I maybe don't like about it is the idea that it might cloud our, our view of the stars, the real stars, right? Um, but I know that they're working on uh, enhancing the technology to kind of shade the sun and make them a little less visible. But um, seeing them again got me curious about it and um, just did a little bit of research. Fortunately, I live uh, right in town in Marshfield and have super nice, quick internet. So I don't need Starlink right now, but maybe someday I'll live out in the country and um, I'll have to look at some other solution. And you can be a beta tester for Starlink. So we'll share a couple links uh, that shares a little bit more information about this. If you have no idea what I'm talking about as far as this line of lights in the sky, uh, keep looking up and maybe you'll get lucky to see it. Another link that we'll share is a website where you can actually track where the uh, satellites are. So you can maybe see when they're approaching your town. So um, just like it's a spectacle to see, like even if you don't know what it provides or what it does, or if you have no interest in uh, getting the service or being a tester or anything like that. But um, it's just uh, unreal to, um, I, I just have a really tough time wrapping my head around the manpower and the money and the technology that it takes to get a chain of satellites up, up in low earth orbit and um, providing a service that's so essential to people, especially now, right? So um, check out Starlink, it's pretty cool. And if you're lucky enough to look up and see it, um, you're in for a treat. How about uh, David or Mark, did you guys have anything you guys wanted to share? I can go. Um, so when I was in high school, um, so I ended up going to college initially for computer science and then I switched over to accounting, but uh, a little part of me wanted to go to school for psychology. So I was really interested in psychology. I really enjoyed the course, but I just couldn't find myself doing it as a career. But anyway, so I recently took a road trip to Florida and on that road trip, I found the psychology podcast. Um, which is from a professor, his name is Scott Barry Kaufman. He's from University of Penn. Um, and so he brings on a lot of different individuals, not just psychologists necessarily, but people who have done different, written different books and done different studies on uh, topics that are related to psychology. And I find that, I find it really fascinating to hear those interviews just because they they, they talk about um, anything from, you know, basically how your your mind works in certain situations to how to cope with different things or whatnot. And it's for me, it's just fascinating. Again, I couldn't do it as a job, but I find it really fascinating just to hear um, how the human mind actually works when it comes to a plethora of different scenarios and whatnot. So that would be my quick recommendation is to, if you're into that kind of stuff, to start listening to that. Uh, the first episodes are from like 2015, which is where I kind of started from. And um, yeah, there's just a lot of good information out there. So that would be my recommendation. 
Nice. And that again, David, that was the psychology podcast was the name of it. Yes, it is. Okay. Got it. Thank you. What about you, Mark? So something that I wasn't doing that I've gotten into recently is hiking. Um, I, again, I live in downtown Milwaukee, so there's not a ton of hiking opportunities. Granted, I go on walks quite often, um, but I've most recently gone to uh, Joshua Tree National Forest, um, and then I'll be going to Zion National Forest in uh, Utah. So uh, my relationship with the outdoors has really grown through the pandemic. Um, so going from uh, zero national forest to now it'll be two. I'm hoping to go to Everglades National Forest in August too as well. So just uh, get out and go do something outside. You'd be uh, amazed on what you come across and be inspired from and just enjoy the world that we live in. Well, I have something to tie both Ben and Mark's uh, suggestions in together. Have you guys heard of the dark sky parks at all? I think is what they're called. So there's a series of, I don't know that they're all national parks. Like there, I think, I know there's a few in Wisconsin, but basically they've been rated to, I don't know how they rate it or classify it, but basically what they say is that like at night, the, the, there's so little light pollution around that area that they, the skies get dark enough that you can see whatever they designate as the, the um, purpose for the dark sky parks, but they're all over the country, I guess. So like I know up in Door County, there's one up there and there's a couple, I think there's like one down here or something like that. But so that'd be really cool for both years because it's, it would incorporate the hiking and it would incorporate your stargazing. Then. And it, it uh, was, I think Joshua nice. Tree and I think Zion are both like that. When I was in Joshua Tree, if you go out at night, you can see everything and it's just amazing on yeah we live in in the i'm blinking on our galaxy um the milky, milky way. way and you can see everything and it's just like you you can't take a picture with it or at least with my terrible iphone you can't um with other better technology you probably can but it's just amazing uh and one other thing i really really enjoy about that is just the absolute silence of just being in your own headspace, um, not being, uh, I again, live in downtown Milwaukee. So I never have any silence. There's always something going on. There's a car driving by. Uh, I feel there's, uh, I also live down the road from a, uh, uh, a fire station. So that's always going on. Um, but just, just being outdoors and, and experiencing what the earth has to offer has really helped me get through this pandemic. Awesome. Very nice. Okay. So I will tie a bow on the conversation. I have a recommendation. I have multiple recommendations all in a theme and circling back to celebrating AAPI uh, month and some of the great contributions of AAPI folks that I'm aware of. This is kind of an old school book recommendation, um, but I want to suggest that uh, that you check out if you have not saw anything basically by the author Amy Tan. I, th I think people are most familiar with the Joy Luck Club, but I would definitely recommend reading anything by her, The Bonesetter's Daughter, The Kitchen God's Wife. They're not only are they really excellent sort of peeks into uh, into a, just a completely other way of um, looking at the world and um, some of the, you know, the themes of religion and relationships and things that she covers. But when she, when Amy Tan writes, oh, she writes like music. It is just beautiful the way that she, the way she uses words. So that is my recommendation. Anything by Amy Tan. Easy, right? <laughs> So we will include links to this stuff. We will figure out where we can get information on Dark Sky Parks and that podcast and all of this stuff uh, along with the podcast. Just a reminder that you can find us on your favorite podcast app. And oh, and if you find us on your favorite podcast app, go back to episode two. You can hear Mark's whole interview Um and it is, it actually, number one, Mark has the distinction of being our first guest on the podcast. Number two, it has the distinction of being one of our most popular episodes. Uh, 
So, but if we, and when I say one of, I mean, if now people go back and listen to it, maybe we can crank that number up, Mark, and get, and make it our most popular episode. Um, and, uh, oh, and also you can find everything on our blog, exclamationcuso.com slash blog. Awesome. Uh, again, huge thank you to David and Mark for being here today. Thanks to our listeners and friends for tuning in. This is Sue and Ben, your self-proclaimed professors of awesomeology, reminding you that life's awesome if you make it awesome. We'll see you next time.